All right, turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll start with the, uh, the, the passage that we ended with last week. Young people, please learn this. That I, It took me 40 years to learn this. So if you can learn it today, it's going to save you at least 30 years of struggles or some struggles. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 8. It says, you there? Pads is still flicking. (laughs) 2 Corinthians 1 verse 8 says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. And later on he lists those troubles. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Now there'll be times when you go through those sorts of situations where you even despair of life itself sometimes. That's not unusual. Indeed, we've, and it's not unchristian either, by the way, to feel like that sometimes. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him, that's God, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Now that was the title and the point of last week's message, Your Prayers Help. When you pray, it helps. Even if you don't see it, or the other person doesn't see it immediately, your prayers help. But the title of the message this morning, if I had a title, I've just got Your Prayers Help Part 2. But if I gave it a better title, it would be You need the prayers of others. As well as your prayers helping, you need to know right now that you need the prayers of others. Okay? That's the message of this morning. Now, in a moment, I'm going to share with you how your prayers helped me. I'm going to give you some testimony of how your prayers helped me the last couple of weeks. But before that, I just want to show you a little bit more from Scripture why you need to pray and why others need to pray for you. Okay? Let's turn to... Actually, do you know... Twix for you. Do you know where the word prayer is first mentioned in the Bible? Which book of the Bible is prayer first mentioned? (laughs) Got to be Genesis, surely, she says. Wendy, yes, you're correct. Genesis chapter... Chapter 1, no, Johan, but I like you, so here's a twix. Oh, well called. Chapter 20, let's turn to Genesis chapter 20. I just want to show us quickly why your prayers are necessary and actually why the prayers of other people for you are necessary as well. Genesis chapter 20. It says, Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar. Now did you know that sadly people from Gerar were mistakenly thought of as unfriendly? Because whenever they said, where did you come from? They said, Gerar. (laughs) 
<laughs> Apparently Tony Tiger came from that place as well. And there Abraham said to his wife, she is my sister. Then Abimelech, the king of Gerar, Gerar sent, said, sorry, sent for Sarah and took her. Basically in those days in that culture, if the king fences someone, he just took them for his wife. But if that woman was married, he'd have to kill the husband first. So Abraham said to his wife, who's six years old at this time, she must be very pretty, because he's thinking, someone's going to want you, so just tell everyone you're my sister, then they won't kill me to get you. Okay, that's, that's why he lied. Um, but God came to King Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, you are as good as dead because the woman you have taken, she is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And didn't he also say, he is my she, is my she say, he is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience, and so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and... He will pray for you, and you will live. But if you don't return her, he, you may be sure that you and, all your, you and all who belong to you will die. Now, what is interesting is that even though God is having a clear two-way conversation with this king, they're back and forth talking to each other, he says, right, now I've explained this to you. I'm going to get my man on earth, Abraham, and he's going to pray for you. And then things are going to be sorted out and cleared with you and I. So even though he's having, God is having a conversation with this king, he's saying, I need my man Abraham to pray for you. God needs someone on earth, his person on earth, to pray, to ask, to intercede, to talk to God on someone else's behalf. Okay, now the same thing happens in the book of Job. Don't turn there. But after Job speaks directly to Job's friends, God says this, my servant Job will pray for you. And I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. So the main mystery of prayer is that God who can do anything needs prayer before he does something. Okay? And we observed last week that the most basic and powerful deeds that you can do as a Christian who is now privileged to be seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus is to ask the Lord in prayer. Where's she? If you think I'm leaving the boys out, they've already had one. You might get one in a bit, boys, but... Uh, okay. Anyone else any young people have? I'm not one of your main roles on this earth, your missions, as it were, as a citizen of heaven, is to pray. Prayer is undoubtedly one of the most fundamental deeds which you can do that may lead others to give glory to God. Just as Jesus said, let your light shine that men may see your good deeds and give glory to the Father. And prayer is one of the main deeds that you can do that does that. Now, last week I asked, why do people visit or write to their MP? It's because the MP has a seat in Parliament and a voice where it counts. Well, where do you have a seat? And where is your voice heard? In heaven, by your Father, where it really counts. Prayer, what a privilege, but what a responsibility as well. So, last week we began by reading Ephesians chapter 2 and seeing how God raised us up 
in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. So let's now turn to Ephesians chapter 6, the last book of Ephesians, and find out what we're supposed to do with that amazing position of being raised up in Christ Jesus in heavenly places. So turn to Ephesians chapter 6. You've had a twix already, so I'll help yourselves to one of those each. I don't remember much teaching from Sunday school, but I do remember Mr. Erfro's toffees. <laughs> so. It says in Ephesians 6, verse 18, okay, we've been seated in heavenly places, we've been given this amazing spiritual armour, it's just talked about in Ephesians 6, and now it says we've got to do this. This is what we're to do as armoured heaven citizens. It says, verse 18, and pray in the Spirit. Now, praying in the Spirit will have several interpretations, but for the sake of what we're learning today, I think this, this is the basic thing about what praying in the Spirit means. Okay? Paul has already told us in Ephesians chapter 2 that we, through Jesus, have access to the Father by one Spirit. Okay? So by the Holy Spirit, we have access to the Father. So praying in the Spirit is literally taking advantage of the truth that wherever you are, wherever you might be, no matter what time it is, because you have the Holy Spirit as a Christian, you have access to the Father. Okay? So the basic interpretation of praying in the Spirit is that you have a wonderful privilege of a person on earth making that wonderful connection with God due to the direct access that the Holy Spirit gives you to God. Something only a Christian can do, praying in the Spirit. So let's read verse 18 again. And pray in the Spirit, using the direct access to the Father that the Holy Spirit provides, on all occasions. So on what sort of occasions should a Christian be praying? All occasions. Very similar to what Paul wrote in Thessalonians, to the Thessalonians, which was pray continually, he said. Sounds the same, doesn't it? Pray on all occasions, pray continually. No wonder prayer is the greatest of the good works that we can do because it is supposed to be non-stop. Flooding whatever else we're doing. Whatever we are doing, we are supposed to be asking the Lord for help at the same time. So let's read verse 18 again. And pray in the Spirit with that amazing connection that you've got to the Father through the Holy Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. So how many kinds of prayers? All. Silent prayers, out loud prayers, on your own, with others, for yourself, for others. Your prayers help. Long prayers, short prayers, quick arrow prayers, well thought out prayers your prayers help yeah and I'm assuming that if you are continually praying then you're continually helping now after the service last week Fads approached me and said it's so funny that you've been talking about prayer because I was asking the Lord at the beginning of the year what things currently do you want me to keep doing or what new things might you be wanting me to do and I just felt the Lord was saying, pray. 
keep praying. So I think 2022 is going to be quite a lot of praying, for whatever reason. Praying. Your prayers help. Your prayers are needed. Okay, read verse 18 again. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind that you have access to the Father by the Spirit and that on all occasions you need to be praying. Be alert and always keep on praying for all, there's that word all again, all the Lord's people. Now I find it really interesting that even though a Christian has direct access to the Father by the Spirit, that actually Paul is saying that priority of your prayers should be for Christians. If a Christian can pray, why need others to pray for them? If I can speak to God in my spirit or through, through the Spirit, why do others need to talk to or speak to God for me? If my prayers help, then why do I need the help of other people's prayers? Are my own prayers enough for me? Surely Jesus, who had the best prayer life of all time, surely he never needed other people to pray for him, did he? Yeah? Oh, but wait. Hang on a minute. <laughs> Go on to Gethsemane. Jesus did ask his disciples to pray, didn't he? When he, was at his, when he was suffering to the point of death, when he was despairing life, even itself, like Paul had written, Jesus asked his disciples to watch and pray. Now it's not clear whether Jesus was asking his disciples to watch and pray so that they would not fall into temptation, or he was asking them to watch and pray for me as I'm suffering. It's not that clear. But whatever it was, Jesus needed their prayerful watch didn't he? He needed their prayerful support. But Paul makes it clear in this scripture and other scriptures that Christians definitely need the prayers of other Christians. Whether you realise it or not, you definitely need the prayers of other Christians. Your prayers help, but you need the help of other people's prayers. Let's continue reading Ephesians 6, and we shall see, as well as telling Christians to be continually praying for other Christians, Paul knows that he needs prayer too. This is what he needs prayer for. Verse 19. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So although Paul has had years and years of experience under his belt preaching by now, and he's miraculous at it, he's amazing at it, he's humble enough to admit that he needs the help of people's prayers to do this. And more specifically, as he mentions here, it seems that their prayers help him to know what to say and to overcome fear. That's one of the two things that he's asking for. Help me pray so that I know what to say and that I do it fearlessly. Here's a good question to ask yourself. What could the prayers of others help you to do? What is it that you've been failing to do or would like to do but can't do it or just know that it's, there's something hindering? Mm. 
What is it that people's prayers could help you to do? For Paul, it was to preach, know what to say, and do it fiercely. And another question for you is, what could other people's prayer support help you to overcome? If other people were praying for you, what could their prayers help you to overcome? For him, it was fear, wasn't it? Perhaps you've never or hardly ever asked others to pray for you because you didn't want anyone else to know your struggles, to know your weaknesses. Or perhaps you've never understood that by the very nature of being a Christian, living in this fallen world, that it's probably pretty unlikely that you'll flourish without the prayer support of other Christians. Perhaps you are realising it as we read, just like me, that your prayer life alone is not always sufficient for the plans and purposes God has for you. It sounds shocking, but you cannot do it without the prayers of others. I need to admit that before my new, I need to admit before my numerous urgent visits to hospital a couple of weeks ago, I was someone who thought my own prayers were usually sufficient for me and mine. And my pride had never wanted to make a fuss as I saw it. Can you identify with that? Whilst in hospital, I did see the funny side because I I knew that what I was going to preach the following week was about your prayers helping. And I realised I hardly ever asked for prayer for myself. So my first trip to A&E, this was not last weekend, it was the weekend before. My first trip to A&E was about 2.30 on Saturday morning. It sounds silly knowing what I now now know about every Christian needing the prayer of others. But at the time, waiting to be seen, I reckoned I got to the point where I was now scared enough to call on the prayers of others. Is that you? Yeah. I had symptoms going back at least a month before I went to hospital. But in my opinion, no one needed to know and I didn't need extra prayer. It's like over the years, my ego had created a scale of seriousness of circumstances, one to ten. And on a scale of one to ten, one to nine, no one needs to know about it. I can pray on my own. And then in the unlikely event of a number ten occurring then possibly share with just one other and maybe ask them to pray. So instead of what should have been something that people could have been already helping with my prayers a month beforehand, before I got to this point where I'm sitting worried in hospital, finally I'm scared enough to think I might need some prayer support. So what do I do? Well, thankfully we have a prayer WhatsApp at the green, don't we? So what did I do? I'm at a number 10 in my opinion. I need prayer now. Well, I looked at my phone and thought, well, it's too early to ask anyone for prayer. It's about 3 o'clock in the morning by now. And if I do send them a WhatsApp message now at 3 o'clock in the morning, what happens if someone hasn't put their phone on silent and I wake them up and disturb their sleep? (laughs) 
So no, I'm not going to send a prayer request yet. Even now, my ego is talking me out of asking for prayer, making excuses. So I waited. I waited to be seen and I waited to ask for prayer. And the problem with foolishly waiting until you get to a level 10 is that when you're at the level 10, sometimes you can't pray anyway. Or you're so consumed by what's going on you just can't concentrate. Or you're so panicking that you can't pray. Okay. Now at this point I knew that because I had told Marie I was taking myself off to A&E, I knew that Marie had prayed. So I knew that one other person was praying for me. But before I share with you what happened next, I want us to quickly check something in the passage we read at the beginning. So turn back to 1 Corinthians. Sorry, 2 Corinthians. Two Corinthians chapter one, and it's verse eleven. It's the bit where Paul said that you help us by your prayers. Two Corinthians one chapter eleven. But there's an extra bit on the end that we need to see as well. It says, "As you help us by your prayers, so your prayers help." We've learned now already. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favour granted us in answer to the prayers of many. So the the revelation in this small verse is not just that your prayers help, but often it's the prayers of many that are needed and that help. So not only is it true that your prayers help, but at times it also helps to have the prayers of many. The problem is that having the prayers of many often comes at the expense of our pride. Because then the the many know about your weaknesses. Mm The many know that your prayer life alone isn't cutting it. That you're struggling. That you need to overcome something. That you're human. But we don't think of it like that, do we? But the prayers of many are needed on occasions. Okay. So, a bit later on, I am ready to bite the bullet and ask for the prayers of many. As I'm sitting there in A&E. So at 7.10 a.m., I sent this message to our church on the WhatsApp group. Good morning, church. I'm trying to be polite and calm. (laughs) Good morning, church. Appreciate your prayers. Early morning visit to the Prue. Passing blood instead of urine. That's That's what I wrote. Now, this wasn't a case of me weeing and blood was in my urine. This was a case of my bladder was full, no urine was coming out whatsoever, just quite thick blood. So I was a bit concerned. I spent, I spent minutes at home pacing around, drinking more water, thinking, okay, if I drink more water, I'm gonna to go to wee in a minute, but nothing's coming out, and panicking. I even had a hot bath at home, thinking maybe that'll help, because a bath solves everything for five minutes, doesn't it? <laughs> Get in there, but no. So, at 7.10, I posted that prayer request. Um, And two minutes later, I just want to share with you the first three responses that that I got from you. So at 7.12am, this is what Becky Brown sent. Praying for you that they can see you quickly and find the problem. 
Father, put your healing hands on David and give him peace. And at the same time, 7.12, Dennis put, our prayers are covering you already. Praying hands, praying hands, praying hands, cowboy face. (laughs) And then Karen at uh, 7.18 said, Lord, I pray for David that the hospital will find out what the problem is and how to treat the problem and also give your strength and peace and love to the family. Now, it was certain there was more than that, but that was just the first three I wanted to share with you. It was such a relief to know that pretty much instantly others were praying on my behalf. It's like a virtual hug from your brothers and sisters wherever they may be. And just as the personal knowledge that people are praying for you is uplifting physically and spiritually, but there's also the spiritual truth that their prayers are helping. There's something practical, something... uh, God is doing something when people pray. So it's not just a case of, oh, that's nice. I feel kind of warm now that people are praying for me. No, something powerful is happening. You can guarantee it. I once read in a book that when you pray, nothing never happens. Which means that when you pray, something is always yeah. happening. We know that from Scripture. Even if, delayed, even if the answer is delayed by three weeks, like Daniel, because there's a spiritual battle, the angel was sent immediately. You prayed, he told Daniel. So, something always happens when you're praying. So I want to tell you what I experienced when you were praying for me, which I think was caused by your prayers helping. The first thing I noticed immediately as soon as you started to pray for me and respond was that the atmosphere around me felt more peaceful. Like the peace of Jesus wasn't just in me, it was kind of like around me as well. Now maybe that was more angels, I don't know. But that's the first thing I noticed that was perhaps helped by your prayers. I'm melting these. The next change was that I had been on the A&E bed for a while and they had already scanned my bladder and found it was full. Now normally the next step is... Yeah. Then the, <laughs> the next step is, is that the, uh, the doctor then, then kind of basically catheterizes to uh, empty the bladder. Uh, but the A&E doctor didn't want to do it because of the way things were with me. He said, I want urology to come and do it. So I had to wait for a urology doctor to come and and put a catheter in. Um, And it was literally a couple of minutes after you began praying that the urology doctor we've waited for quite a while came down and uh, I was so relieved to have the catheter in and suddenly you can see this bag filling up with, with, yeah, red, red urine. Um, And the plan was, was that I go home with the catheter and antibiotics and I'd be referred to urology that I was seeing on Thursday. Now, another remarkable thing is I was referred to Chelsfield Hospital. So I'm on the NHS, but my first visit and my subsequent visits, like my MRI and my um, camera scan thing, cystoscopy, are all at Chelsfield Hospital. So which made me feel a bit special. So basically, I left the pro and was referred to Chelsfield Hospital. Um, And I've been once already. Okay. So that was another thing. Maybe your prayers helped in that. Just that little kind of thing there. Um, Right, so I was released Saturday morning. uh, 
go home with the catheter and the uh, antibiotics and they'll see you on Thursday at Chelsfield Hospital. And they'll take the catheter out. Well, unfortunately, I only managed seven hours before my catheter blocked. I was still bleeding and the blood clots were forming. So my catheter got blocked and so I end up back in A&E that afternoon and I was on, it's the surgical ambulatory ward. Is that right, Ed? Surgical ambulatory ward. And again, waiting for urology to come down and, and see me. Um, and while I was there, I got chatting to two guys uh, in the same ward. And one guy, he'd come in with a block catheter and they kept him in and they hooked him up to a massive bag and you could see his rosé, rosé wee. <laughs> collecting. Now, this is not a competition. Well, it is a competition, really. His, his wee was rosé. I knew my wee was Ribena. So, uh, and he said to me, this is what happened to me, they're going to keep you in. If you got blocked once and your, your wee is worse than mine, they're going to keep you in. And that was the one thing, I wanted help but that was the one thing I wouldn't, didn't want to do, was stay in. Didn't want to stay in at all. Um, and, uh, and I asked for more prayer. Anyway, um, when they scanned my bladder again, they said, yeah, oh, it is full. Um, just just the, the process of them pressing down on your full bladder and you're not feeling too well anyway, it, it basically, the pressure just kind of released and hey presto, my, my catheter was unblocked. And it was only a few minutes later that the, um, the urology doctor came down, felt my now quite soft stomach and said, you can get home. Mm. And, um, and I was so relieved. And the guy who was sadly hooked up to his massive rosé bag, um, he said, I can't believe it. How come you are going out? And the other guy next to me as well said, yeah, how come you're going out so soon? And do you know what I said? I said, my church is praying for me. That's what I said. <laughs> I said, my church is praying for me. Um, and afterwards, uh, I kicked myself a little bit because I should have sort of like prayed for them. I could have gone, well, can we pray for you or do you want me to pray for you? But in my fragile state, I thought, well, at least I said, yeah, my church is praying for me. I kind of hobbled out. All right. Okay. What happened next? Um, it turned out that I'd only last an extra day and then I'd be back in A&E again with another block catheter um, and uh, they gave me a, a bigger <laughs> they gave me a bigger block catheter ouch so that it wouldn't get blocked and they sent me home again and thankfully it didn't get blocked again until Thursday but before that Sunday evening uh, Wendy arranged a Zoom prayer meeting for me and for others who needed healing within our family. And so they began fervently praying for healing for me. And two scriptures uh, came out of that prayer meeting for me. And the first scripture was Psalm 138, verse 7 to 8. And the second was Psalm 34, verse 19, now which says, The righteous person may have many troubles but the Lord delivers him from them all. Now, it, it's not your average healing scripture. It's not the normal scripture that you pull out 
when someone needs healing, but that was the two scriptures that people felt that the Lord was saying for me. So I was sent that, those two verses. And the next day, remember, it's hard to forget him, student Michael, who preached here a few times. He's now, he's now uh, working with Coney Hill Baptist for a few months, and then he'll be off to another church. But Michael had heard I was unwell, and so Michael, the following afternoon, rang me up on Monday afternoon and was talking to me. He said, David, I've got a scripture for you. And guess which the scripture was? <laughs> Psalm 34, verse 19. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers them, him from them all. So we've already read that Paul wrote, on God we have set our hope and he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. And now God was certainly helping me to set my hope on him as you helped me with your prayers. God was speaking and you know, encouraging me. He will deliver me, set my hope on him. So thank God and thank you, church, for praying for me. And there's more. On that Monday afternoon, Mike, Maynard, Simon Swift, Chris and Vic came round to anoint me with oil and pray for me. Now, half of me says, oh, I don't want the elders of the church to come round because I'm in my pyjamas. I'm walking like John Wayne. I'm looking so fragile and feeble. I don't want them to see me like that. But the other part of me says, it does say in James chapter 5, if anyone is sick, they should call upon the elders, and the elders would anoint them with oil, and the prayer of faith will raise them up, and they will be healed. So, again, my pride didn't have its way, and the, the elders of the church did come around and anoint me with oil and pray for me. But your prayers didn't stop there, or helping didn't stop there. My next visit to the hospital was on Thursday at Chelsfield Hospital to see the urology consultant. Um, and by this time, I really, really, really wanted my catheter out, especially if it was a big bore one. <laughs> I, I like big bore exhausts on my motorbike. <laughs> yeah. And so I really, really wanted the catheter out. And so I, was, I asked you on the prayer app, seeing the doctor today, hopefully they're taking the catheter out. Please pray that it comes out today. Okay. So I get to Chelsfield and I see the consultant. He's a wonderful man, lovely guy. But he said, oh, you need to be supervised for four hours to have the catheter out in a, in a clinic. And so we'll have to book that for next week for you. And I was like, oh. Uh, but after a minute or so, he looked at me again, and he said, and he looked at his, checked his phone and said, tell you what, if you come and see me tomorrow morning at Beckham Beacon Hospital, I'll make sure, as much as I can make sure, that I can't promise, but I'm going to try and get you in. And I turned up the next day at 8.30 at Beckham Beacon Hospital, and I was the first to be seen, the first on the list, the first to be treated, the first to be discharged, the consultant had rang the nurse, and the nurse greeted me and said, the consultant has told me all about you. Come in. And it, I think it turns out, I was there at 8.30, I think their surgery begins at 9. The first person on the list is 9. But they squeezed me in, they made an extra appointment for me. And so again, your prayers helped. So I was so grateful, and I felt so much better after that Friday morning. 
having, having the catheter out. Okay. Uh, and I was out in less than, well, it says four to six hours, but I was out in three. And the guys that I've been talking to with similar situations to me, all drinking our water, hoping to do a couple of wheeze and pass the test, um, uh, they couldn't believe that I was out so early. And do you know what I said to them? My church is praying for me. But, because I was feeling so much better, I, I also said, can my church pray for you? And two out of the four said, yeah, why not? One of them said, yeah, every little, everything helps. And so I asked for their names, and so I sent them on the WhatsApp. So we prayed for Stephen and Jerry that morning as well. Okay. But that's not where your prayers stopped helping. Because um, another God incidence was the day before. So I had the catheter on the Friday. On the Thursday afternoon, I went to the proof for an ultrascan, ultrasound. Is that where you work? In radiology? In radiology, but not at the proof. Not at the proof. But uh, I went to radiology for an ultrasound. And I asked you to pray that my bladder would be able to be full because up until that point, it didn't want to be full ever. Um, but they need a full bladder to do an ultrasound. So I was a bit concerned about that. So you prayed. And praise God, it, it was able to hold some and that it was enough and I didn't have to wait at all. And I went straight in and had my ultrasound. But the thing that I want to share with you about your prayers helping is that my consultant in the morning had asked me if I could get hold of a copy of the notes to bring to him the next day at Beckenham Beacon. Um, and so afterwards I was asking the reception, could I have a copy? And I said, well, we don't normally do that. And so she asked her colleague, and the colleague said, well, we don't normally do that. And then they asked another colleague, and there was, so there was a group of three of them um, trying to sort out what I needed. And all of a sudden, uh, another uh, uh, nurse-type person kind of came along and said, is everything okay? Can I help you with anything? Now, I didn't recognise, but it was Stacy at the back there who works in radiology. And Stacy suddenly kind of, for me, it was like, whoo, everyone wants to help and kind of joined the conversation. But thankfully, God has sent it like an angel. Stacy came along and kind of confirmed things and helpful, because I was feeling quite fragile still. So again, I just saw that as another nod from God and your prayers helping. Okay. And another thing that your prayers did was even after I had the catheter on Friday and was feeling much better, your, con- your prayers continued to help because on the Saturday, I got a phone call from my mum to say that a family friend had just offered to pay for me to go privately for anything else that I needed. Now, I don't think I need to go privately because up to this point, I've been amazed at how quickly appointments and things have been arranged. And I'm, I'm already being seen from my appointments at Chelsfield Hospital anyway. So, but it was just to be told, out of the blue, a generous offer like that was just another blessing and a boost that God and the prayers of my brothers and sisters were helping, were, were working, were rescuing me, bringing me hope that God will indeed rescue me and continue to deliver me. So the message this morning is, may you know that your prayers help and therefore feel encouraged to pray on all occasions with all kind of prayers. 
But also, now this is maybe more important for some of us, may you also realize that the prayers of many help you. And therefore, may you feel humble enough to ask for others to pray for you before you get to level 10. (laughs) 